When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Writer Dead is sponsored by TBR. TBR is Book Riot's new subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Been dreaming of a stitch fix for books? Now it's here. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Sign up only takes a few minutes. Answer a couple of questions about what you like to read and what you're looking for. Link up your Goodreads profile if you have one and you're done. TBR subscribers are matched to bibliologists based on their requests. Love thrillers and want to read more romance? Looking for poetry by writers of color and maybe also some space opera? We've got someone who knows just what to choose for you. Each TBR delivery contains three titles in the recommendations only level or three new hardcovers and you'll receive new shipments every three months. Give your bibliologist feedback, update your request to stay in line with your reading goals and expanding horizons and basically have your own personalized book concierge. You can visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co and thanks so much for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 45, and we're recording on Tuesday, February 12th. I'm Katie McLean, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rincey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm just realizing that we're coming up on episode 50. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, that's true. You just said 45. <laughs> I I didn't do that math in my head. I was sitting here thinking like, oh, it's almost Valentine's Day. I completely forgot that was coming up. Yeah, I uh, even, you know, I have never been someone who enjoyed Valentine's Day. Um, At first, like when I was when I was like in high school, I I thought it was just because I was bitter that everyone else was dating someone and I wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, But now that that's not an issue anymore, I'm like, no, I still hate Valentine's Day. I like to say I don't like Valentine's Day because it's only the third best candy holiday. So yeah. it's like, what's even the point? <laughs> I mean, you do get discounted candy. That's that's great. Like it's, after the fact. It's true. I always read the discounted candy section at Walgreens at the day after every major candy holiday. But I feel like Valentine's Day gives you the worst candy options. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Halloween's obviously the best. And then what's second? Easter. Easter. Yeah. Because um, I was, I'm like, well, Christmas has good stuff, but I like chocolate and mint. And that's more of a Christmassy mm-hmm. thing. But Easter also, like, you can get, like, the Snickers eggs and exactly. stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's more in line with, with, what, with what I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I like, was like, because, like, basically what goes on sale is all of the um, cart-shaped chocolate boxes which are fine but they're not great unless you can get the turtle ones from fanny mae i'm a big fan of those yeah those are delicious or um oh what are their other ones mint meltaways from fanny mae yes mm. yes mm. but you know the fanny mae the fanny mae assorted chocolates and stuff like that they're expensive so yes. yeah you get yeah you get the cardboard heart box and i mean i'm not picky if someone were to give me one of those it's, i'm like well yeah i'll eat it but yes. you know i i do have some standards 
chocolate I know. Standards. Well, because like the thing is, is like with those boxes, you don't know what necessarily what you're getting if they're truly like the random ones. Because sometimes there are some really gross options in there. So then you only eat like half the box anyways. I know. I'm thinking there's – oh, what comedian is it? I think it's Jim Gaffigan where he talks about getting the the, heart sh- the, the box of chocolates. He's like, oh, I got the one filled with toothpaste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like I said, I, I'm not picky when it comes to chocolate. But, yeah, there are some that I've tried and I'm going, oh, I don't know about that one. Yeah. Um, so the ones that have the handy guide, like yes. on the lid, those, like, I think Russell Stover does that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, the espresso ones I want to avoid. The one that's like chocolate and orange. I'm like, eh, no. Caramel? Yes, I'll do that. <laughs> also, I was going to say this, uh, but I, I was like, we never sounded more like Chicagoans than how, talking about how much we love Fannie Mae. <laughs> Oh, gosh, yes, that that is true. And you know what? We actually, we live like maybe two minutes away from a Fannie Mae store, and we have never been inside. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I mean, I have been inside one before, but we haven't gone to the, this one, and we've been living in this area for like four, over four years now. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't think that's willpower. I think it's more just the fact that we forget that it's there. Yeah, but, that's understandable. Um, yeah, but uh, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, hmm. I wonder if they have sales at the Fannie Mae store the day after Hallow- uh, Halloween, after <laughs> Valentine's Day. Man, whoever's giving out Fannie Mae on Halloween, <laughs> we're going to be hitting up their house. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> okay, well, I, I, I may have to investigate on Friday and let you know. If Fannie Mae does does, uh, does uh, sales, so stay tuned. <laughs> That'll be the real mystery of this podcast. There we go. There we go. Does yeah? How big are the discounts on Fannie Mae chocolate after Valentine's Day? Ooh, well, I, I will investigate and uh, and I will report back later. Um, so welcome, welcome to everyone, chocoholics and non-chocoholics. <laughs> Um, norm- and I was going to say, normally we don't talk that much about chocolate. We talk more about mystery, suspense, and thrillers, and true crime, and movie adaptations, and ev- anything and everything in between. If you are new to the show, welcome. If you are a longtime listener, thank you so much for for sticking with us through almost 50 episodes. Um, and this, of course, we always put out uh, the call at the beginning of the show for um, topics uh, for upcoming episodes. We love read, uh, reader, listener, listener. We love listener feedback. Um, and so, as we've mentioned in the past, we've gotten some great episode ideas from you guys. Um, if we've had uh, questions on air, you guys have uh, responded to us on Twitter with answers. Thank you to whoever told us what Acorn TV was, I think, after the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was much appreciated. Thank you very much for that. Um, so, yeah, we always, we always put this out looking for new um if you have any uh questions ideas topics for future episodes um if we talk about something that you think is was really interesting and you're like hey i heard this about it let us know we love um we love hearing your feedback we love getting show ideas from you guys and it helps make this show uh really something that that is interesting to you guys because we want we want to talk about the things that you guys are interested in um i mean we're all interested in mysteries and suspense but we also like to get a little a little bit more specific um 
every once in a while. So um, with that, I guess I'll um, I'll go ahead and kick off our usual news segment um, in that uh, the president is missing. The Bill Clinton, James Patterson book we have talked about a lot on this show um, is coming to Showtime. Um, the headline for the article that we'll be linking to in the show notes uh, is Christopher McQuarrie is bringing Bill Clinton's ridiculous mystery novel to Showtime, which I actually thought was just Rinsey writing that, but then I realized it was, no, that's actually the that's actually the headline. Um, so I don't think they have a ton of uh, I don't th- I don't think they have a ton of information in terms of a release date or anything. Um, but um, but yeah, it is coming to Showtime. So if you have a Showtime subscription uh, for something already and you're interested in this, you may want to keep the subscription. <laughs> Um, since everything's coming out on a new streaming service now. You have to subscribe to everything. Um, but, of course, if, uh, if as more information comes out, we will bring that to you. Um, but, yeah, just, just know that that is going to be headed to your TV screen sometime in the uh, future. <laughs> Um, I just want to know. So in the article that I linked to was AV Club and I clicked through to the deadline link. There isn't more in- information um, about it other than it's happening. I think the new news is that uh, Christopher McQuarrie is the person um, who like is part of the adaptation now. Um, and so I just I do want to know that he is like an Oscar winning like screen play writer. So there is the potential that this could be something interesting um, because he wrote the screenplay for the, he wrote the usual suspects. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then like his recent ones have been like Valkyrie um, mission impossible edge of tomorrow. Um, yeah. He did the Jack Reacher adaptation. So he has some experience doing these types of, story so and like not that all of those movies that i just listed were good but he does have experience doing like at least interesting entertaining stuff yeah it's yeah especially in the thriller genre yeah but i was thinking oh i mean I, it's not like i follow james patterson that closely but i feel like has outside of like alex cross have other as have other things by him been ad- adapted not that i'm aware of um i mean i know he's got a billion different series yeah um but to mine i mean they may have been adapted for like tv or limited releases but nothing i don't think that's really like been a, been a huge deal i mean even um even with the alex cross stuff i mean that that was only a couple movies right yeah um, I don't even know if it was a couple. I think it was one. Yeah, I think it might, like... Actually, I'm Googling it now. Um, he wrote Along Came a Spider, which I did not realize. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I read that one, and I know he did... Was the other one Kiss the Girls? Yes. Yeah, that was... Yeah, I, I got about halfway through that one. I didn't finish that one, but... Oh, I didn't realize that was an... Al- Those were both Alex Cross stories. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> this is me realizing that I don't pay attention to anything James Patterson <laughs> So let's rephrase your pa- your previous statement. <laughs> yep. Um, but even but like beyond those movies, like I mean, there may have been one or two other ones. I don't know. You're the one who's got Google up right now, but yeah, he has. He's done. It's there's probably like maybe ten different oh, things. Wow. Yeah. So there's Child of Darkness, Child of Light. I don't know. Uh, Kiss the Girls, Miracle on Seventeenth Green, uh, Along Came a Spider, First to Die, which was a TV thing. Suzanne's Diary for Nicholas. 
Yeah, those are. I was gonna say that's that's his one of his romance Nicholas okay. Sparks type ty- titles. Okay, Women's Murder Club. Yeah, um, that's that's one of his other series. I think uh, Zoo. No, uh, yes. Oh, I and, forgot about Zoo. Yeah, it's not an Alex Cross book, but I remember no. that one. It's. I just remember the cover. It's like a dramatic looking cityscape, and I think the tagline was "There's something bad happening out there." Mm. I was like, "Who came up with that one?" <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, so I, I I take back my previous uh, statements about both Alex Cross and James Patterson, <laughs> but I, I I he just never writes anything that I'm interested in, which is not you know not everything's going to be for me. <laughs> All right, in other adaptation news, uh, pieces of her by Karen Slaughter has been optioned. Uh, Netflix has picked it up and is giving an eight episode order to the show. Um, it's gonna be, so it's gonna be a series. It doesn't say if it's gonna. I'm assuming it's gonna be one of those limited series slash could potentially be more if people really really like it. It doesn't say specifically um, what they're doing with it, um, but it is based on the book by Karen Slaughter. Um, it also has an all female creative team, which is very exciting. Uh, Featuring Le- uh, Leslie Linka Gladder, who has worked on Homeland and Mad Men, Charlotte Stout, who has worked on Homeland and House of Cards, and Bruna, Bruna Papadria, who has worked on Big Little Lies. Uh, so that's really exciting that they have an all female um, like EP team working on this story. So yeah, that is another thing that is coming out in the near future. No release date or anything like that provided yet because it sounds like they are just getting started. All right. And then I just realized, I'm like, my goodness, we've got a lot of like TV news um, mm-hmm. here because the the next one, um, I just found out uh, today that um, following in Netflix's footsteps, Hulu has a true crime anthology series coming out next month called The Act. Um, and I don't know, anthology series, I... I I'd ha- I have to scan through the article. Um, I I don't know if, like if it's you know a certain number of episodes covers one particular true crime case. I don't. I'm not sure exactly how it's set up in that sense. Um, but that is going to be coming out next month. Um, and then the first story that it features um, is. The story of Dee Dee, a woman named Dee Dee, and her daughter Gypsy. Um, and I will do a quick trigger warning here for uh, for uh, child abuse. Um, but this uh, this case, there was um, there was a BuzzFeed article written about, it, and then there was a documentary on HBO, and now it's being featured on Hulu. Um, this was an instance of. Um, Munchausen by proxy, uh, where Dee Dee for, um, she kept, um, she basically convinced Gypsy that she had, um, that she had cancer, that she had muscular dystrophy, that she had all of these, these illnesses and kind of bounced her around from doctor to doctor thinking that, that, um, you know, going in for all of these diagnoses, having her undergo all of these surgeries, putting her on medication that she didn't need. And ultimately, this came, this came to light when Dee Dee was found murdered in her house. Um, And it's not really spoiling anything. Her daughter was, you know, her daughter was not sick. um, And she was, 
and this was kind of her fighting back against the the mistreatment and the abuse she had suffered for her um you know 18 20 years that she had been alive so um so it's if, if we want to talk about bonker stories and there have been a lot of bonker stories in the news recently or on Netflix or whatever we'll be talking about one later um but um but yeah this this case is going to be featured on the Hulu um series and um we'll also provide a link to the original BuzzFeed article which is which is disturbing and fascinating and i it's if you are you know if you are of a true crime mind um it is well worth a read it's extremely well written um and just really just really mind blowing um so we'll have we'll have links to both of those in the show notes um but definitely if you're a true crime person keep uh keep this hulu series on your radar all right and the final thing that we want to uh just cover or mention really quickly is that the audio awards have announced their finalists for 2019 uh, we'll have a link directly to the finalist page so you guys can peruse it at your own will and look through all the different uh categories because there are a bunch of categories and a bunch of books up for nominations um there's nothing like particularly noteworthy about it other than like this is i like looking at these uh specifically the audio awards um finalists or you know for every year because i feel like they do a pretty good job of picking out books that are well narrated like i'm someone who i listen to audiobooks but i don't listen to a bunch of audiobooks and i'm kind of picky about my audiobooks uh so i feel like these are always fun for me personally to go through to be like oh this is a book that i didn't know necessarily was going to be good on audio or something along those lines um like one example of that that isn't a mystery is i didn't realize there there was um had a multi-narrator cast or multi-voiced cast. Oh. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so stuff like that. Because, like, it makes sense because I've read the book and, mm-hmm. like, it's told from different perspectives. But the, knowing that um, it's told with multiple narrators is also really helpful sometimes. Um, so I feel like, especially with fiction, when there are multiple narrators, it really makes a difference and really enhances the audiobook. Um, so, yeah, uh, for the mystery finalists, it's Lethal White by Robert Galbraith, narrated by Robert Glenn... Glenn Glenn Eister, I apologize, um, which I know Katie really likes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mystery of Three Quarters by Sophie Hanna, narrated by Julian Rintut. The Punishment She Deserves by Elizabeth George, narrated by Simon, Simon Vance. Uh, the Tuscan Child by Reese Bowen, narrated by Jonathan Keeble and Katie Sobey. And then Wildfire by Anne Cleves, narrated by Kenny Blythe. Um, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure those are all white authors from what I... I'm yeah. aware. So just going to point that out as a thing. Uh, lots of the other categories have great diversity in them. So I'm not going to necessarily call out the audio awards for that. But that is a thing I do want to mention. Um, and there are also – and again, this this list is worth going through on its own partially because these are all great audiobooks. Uh, but there are also like mysteries sprinkled throughout in other categories. For example, Sadie by Courtney Summers is up for multi-voice performance as well as I think Best Young Adult. Um, Dope Sick is up or the nonfictions include some true crime. Um, I'll Be Gone in the Dark is up for mm-hmm. finalist of the year or audiobook of the year. So things like that. It's worth like going through the whole uh, list in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and one of the audiobooks that I listened to late last year, um, 
the re or the re-release of Pet Cemetery with uh, Michael C. Hall narrating is up for I think best male narrator, mm-hmm. um, which I think it, I mean I haven't listened to the, the other ones on the list, but that book that book was whew, that was very well narrated. It was very creepy. <laughs> Dexter did a good job. <laughs> Um, okay, so with that, um, we'll get into uh, go to our first sponsor, which is Never Let Go by Elizabeth Goddard and Ravel Books. The case may be cold, but things are about to heat up. Forensic genealogist Will- Willow Anderson is following in her late grandfather's footsteps in her quest for answers about a baby abducted from a hospital more than 20 years ago. When someone makes an attempt on Willow's life to keep her from discovering the truth, help will come from an unexpected source. Ex-FBI agent and Willow's ex-flame, Austin, McC- Austin McCade, readily offers to protect the woman he never should have let get away. Together, they'll follow where the clues lead them, even if it means Austin must face the past he spent much of his life trying to forget and put Willow's tender heart at risk. Um, so this sounds like a really good pick if you're into romantic suspense um, and books kind of along those lines. So again, the book is Never Let Go by Elizabeth Goddard and Ravel Books, and we thank them very much for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so for our main topic today, instead of talking about a specific book or any theme like that, uh, we are going to be talking about an article that came out last week that literally everyone in the book world seemed to be talking about. Um, It is the New Yorker piece talking about Dan Mallory, who writes under the pseudonym A.J. Finn and wrote the uh, thriller The Woman in the Window, which was like a bestseller last year. If you haven't read the story, obviously there'll be a link to this in the show notes, uh, but I'll try my best to do a summary of it. <laughs> but it's kind of like the most pairs of banana pants that you could possibly own um, in a single story. So, uh, yeah, Dan Mallory has kind of been known in the book world. He was like basically a rising white dude in the publishing industry for a while. Um, he ended up getting like a major deal for his book, uh, The Woman in the Window. Uh, but it turns out that he is like a pathological liar and has it's I think it's also been kind of an open secret sort of in the publishing world of what a terrible person this he this guy is. Um, so he's I don't I mean part of me is just like I don't even know where to start with this guy. Um he just like would lie about everything. Like he would lie about the degrees that he had. Like I think he said that he had multiple PhDs or masters something along those lines and he didn't. Um but then it escalated to even worse things where he lied about his own mental health state so he would claim that he would have different mental health issues and he didn't. Um he claimed that his mother and his brother had both died, even though they are both alive. Um, he claimed that he had cancer and survived it, and he never did. Um, and, like, to the point where he wrote emails saying about – he wrote emails saying that they were written from his – like, his brother had written them about him surviving cancer, but it really was him just writing the emails about surviving cancer. Like – it's there's so much happening in this story and I don't even know where to start. And like the one thing that everyone keeps pointing out is that uh, Dan Mallory uh, talks about how he's a huge fan of Pat- Patricia Highsmith and he basically sounds like he was pulling like a talented Mr. Ripley type of thing but also 
kind of worse because it's you know a real person who's like deceiving real people and there's so there's just so many things wrong with this story and so many things that are like so infuriating i don't i can't like this is such a indicative story of like what publishing feels like at least from the outside looking in it feels like there are so many things about publishing that are so wrong and this story sums up like how it's so easy to game the system if you're a white dude or just like move up in this industry even though you don't have the credibility or the put or you haven't put in the work or any of that stuff like if you are like a white person in publishing, it's so much easier to get ahead just because people are willing to put up with charming, good looking people, um, as opposed to like the people who have actually been like doing the work and putting in, you know, the hours and trying to write good stories. And like the fact that Dan Mallory wrote a mediocre story that was like a number one bestseller and he was a giant liar just all made it so much worse and yeah i'm good I'm you could like hear me getting angry as i'm talking i was gonna say i'll step in you take a breather <laughs> um but i mean you you really summarized my well i i, I had the exact same reaction that you did i well, i was i first saw the article um Blaine, because last week I, I took a couple of vacation days and Blaine and I went to um, the we went to one of the museums in Chicago because February is like free month for uh, Illinois residents. So we were just kind of like hanging out at the Field Museum and like we're looking at like dinosaur bones and I'm looking at this on my phone going, oh, my God. <laughs> and Blaine's like, what is it? What are you looking at? I'm like. I'm like, the guy who wrote The Woman in the Window, and I was like, he's a con man. Oh, my gosh. He's, like, lied about everything. Um, I will, um, having, I did read um, The Talented Mr. Ripley a few years ago. I will say, um, in the book, <laughs> Talented Mr. Ripley murdered someone. None okay. Of, yeah, so none of this, um, none of the accusations about Dan Mallory involved murder. I will, let me make that very clear. However, he, he the thing that, well... There there are so many things that baffle me, and I know that people like this exist in the world, and I think that there is an argument to be made that there is, a, that this is a, that this could very, you know, this is a mental health issue, um, but it doesn't negate the harm that these types of people can cause on the other people in their lives, and and it just and it also just boggles my mind to that someone would lie about something that is so easily discredited like where he's saying like his mother and his brother were had died and the author the the new the author of the new yorker article was like he talked to his mom and he's like so how do you feel that he's going around saying that you died of cancer like like he he talked to her this is not something that's easy you know that's it's not like it's difficult to prove and so i i mean like the whole th the whole thing it's like it seems you know seems designed to garner sympathy from people um to you know to manipulate other people in the, in that way um and the one of the details that struck me as like so odd but so hilarious, like you said, he was writing. Um, they they 
kind of figured out he was writing emails like while he was supposedly undergoing cancer treatment and his quote unquote brother was writing these these emails um, saying, oh, yeah, he's doing really well. Thank you for all your support, blah, blah, blah. The what tipped people off was the fact that the brother, when he said when he would type out email, he'd type it like E period mail which was exactly how Dan Mallory typed it out, like in his regular everyday correspondence. He'd sign it, you know, he wouldn't use Mm -hmm. a hyphen, he didn't just combine it as one word, he'd put a period in there, which most people don't do. So it's a very obvious, noticeable tell. And, like, that kind of tipped people off, or just kind of like, um, I don't know about, like, you know, is is this really what's happening? Or the other, one of the other anecdotes in there, they were talking about how he was supposed to be in the office for a conference call, and his coworkers, I think they, they got him on his phone at home, and he's and he was like, oh yeah, I had to dog sit for someone. And then like throughout the conference call, like he sat in on the conference call, but throughout it, they just they would hear him yelling like, hey, get off of there, get down. And then after the conf- after the call ended, the two coworkers looked at each other and they went, there's no dog, is there? And they went, no, there isn't. And it's like. <sighs> I like like you said the bigger like the the I mean the story on the surface is nuts enough as it is but on but the bigger story here is like here you have this this yeah this attractive charming white man in publishing who you know, yes, the woman in the window was a bestseller. I didn't end up reading it. Um, if you do read the New Yorker article, it does spoil the ending. Although by the time I got to that point, it lets you know there's a spoiler. And I'm like, I'm not reading the book. Um, so I'm like, I'll just go ahead and, and read, you know. And I'm like, I don't feel like, you know, was this book, you know, as groundbreaking as everyone said it was? And to, I mean... From from people who have read the story, it's, you know, it seems like, you know, it's entertaining, but it's, you know, it's a rear window type of story. It's kind of, it's, a, it's, you know, it's derivative. It's, you know, does it, does it, you know, does it deserve the, all the hype that, that it was getting? And so you have, you know, this, this book that's being marketed, you know, marketed super heavily. Um, I remember attending, I think it was... I think it might it was either Book Expo or ALA. I think it was I think it was Book Expo where they were talking about this book being like one of the up and coming books of of 2018. Like this was a book that people were like you have like you have to put this on your radar. Like this is going to be like the book of 2018. And it's you know there's so much effort you know so much marketing so much marketing money being put behind this book and then you find out that this is like who the author is and that people kind of knew about it and you think about all the you know the women and the people of color the women of color who have been you know pushed out of the industry or who have not had market you know the marketing dollars put behind their book it's really infuriating infuriating like you know that this is the kind of behavior that's allowed to skate by but you know we can't publish more people of color because oh no they've already got a book like that and it's like well we've had we have plenty of derivative psychological thrillers out in in the market but we see no problem with publishing more of those so um it's it's yeah I, I mean, maybe you heard that noise. That was me just kind of throwing up my hands and just going like, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, this is like one of those situations where also like we'll have links to these articles that Katie, you found and put in the show notes. Um, one of them is like what will happen to Dan Mallory, which is from Publishers Weekly. And another one um, is from The Washington Post. And it says if the author of Woman in the Window is a serial or can we still love his books? Um, and like it – like the thing – I think part of what I – just find really upsetting is the fact that you know a story like that can come out and like it seems like nothing's really going to happen to him Mm-mm. outside of like people like talking crap or like being completely astonished by this story for like a little while like uh, it, uh let's see oh, i'm trying to look really scan the story really quickly to see who the publisher of woman in the window is um, um it's um william morrow yeah, William Morrow, which was um, so, the the so, editing comp- the publishing company that he works for, oh, because yeah. I think it was in the New Yorker piece when um, they they put the book up um, for like bidding rights or wh- however that works, like partway through the bidding process. I think I think in the article now I was going to say do not quote me on this because I'm only about ninety five percent sure. But I think they revealed that because before it was just under, oh, this author, A.J. Finn. Then they realized then they said it was actually written by Dan Mallory. And I think and I think they said a lot of publishers went they pulled out of it and they were Mm. like, I'm not touching it. And so his his publishing company was the one that ended up buying it. That's interesting. I didn't. To be honest, I was I got really angry and didn't finish the the whole (laughs) New Yorker story. So. Yeah, I will, I'm willing to um, admit that. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to like scroll through it uh, while you're doing the new releases to see if I can see if I can confirm that or something. Um, but um, yeah, so William and Morrow uh, published uh, "Woman in the Window," and in the Publishers Weekly uh, article that was published last week after the story came out, as of that point, um, and there hasn't been like an update to the story or anything like that that I can see. Uh, William and Morrow isn't really hasn't said that they're changing anything so the the book is like a number one new york times bestseller um and is coming out in paperback next month and he has a two book deal so as they're they haven't said that they're like canceling that or anything like that um and part of me thinks or not things part of me is pretty sure that the reasons behind that is because one he wrote under pseudonym and so therefore, like anyone who would Google AJ Finn wouldn't necessarily come across this article first or know anything about him or anything like that. Um, and then I feel like the second reason is because like most people wouldn't come across this story um, in like day to day. Like it hasn't really bubbled up to mainstream news like circles, I feel like yet. So I don't know if it's even going to like make a difference in terms of like if the general public would stop buying this book um but i mean william and morrow could also stop publishing it and or not market it but i'm not someone who works in publishing so i don't know so i think that's like more of like my (laughs) anger is also coming from because like the story came out and everyone was like this is ridiculous and yet nothing happened afterwards at least not yet yeah it's i don't 
see that there's going to be any consequences. And I'm sure there are people that would argue, well, why should there be, you know, consequences? You know, he didn't really do anything. You know, I'm like, no, he didn't, you know, he didn't murder someone or he didn't, there wasn't like he raised money for his cancer treatment and then kept the money and then found out that he didn't actually have cancer. Um, No, none of those things happened, but it, you know, there, this just kind of highlights white men, I mean, white people, but especially white men can kind of do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> and there aren't going to be consequences for it. Um, and, I mean, maybe we'll be proven wrong. I, uh, you know, I am not optimistic. It does make me, uh, it makes me want to throw as much money and support as I can behind, you know, authors of color and uh and women writers and women of color and non uh and you know trans authors and uh non-binary authors like like all of the people that that if you're that are not white men like I just kind of want to put all of my support behind these other people because you know this is if the, I don't I don't want this stuff flooding flooding the market these are not the type of books I'm interested in we're, you know, I'm done with that. Um, I did also, di- I did find the paragraph that does confirm what I was saying about the bidding rights. Um, it says in 2016, um, this is from the New Yorker article, in 2016, midway through the auction for the woman in the window, the author's real name was revealed to bidders. At that point, most publishing houses dropped out. This move reflected an industry-wide unease with Mallory that never became public and that did not stand in the way of his enrichment. William Morrow, Mallory's employer at the time, kept bidding and bought his book. Um, so yeah, once people found out who had really written the book, it looked like they were like, well, I'm not touching that <laughs> and dropped it like a hot potato. So, you know, I mean, and the other thing in, I mean, this also kind of, kind of plays into like, you know, all the stories that come out about celebrities or, you know, comedians, um, like all the stuff about R. Kelly, um, you know, these, these instances where, there are varying degrees of bad behavior that are made public. And so the question always is, should we, can we, should, or should we separate the art from the artist? Like, you know, there, the Washington Post article asks, can we still enjoy the woman in the window? And to me, I mean, I think that feels like a very personal, that feels, that's a very personal choice to make. And in no way would I look down on someone for saying, hey, I still like the book. You still like the book. You know, I'm not going to, you know, that's, you know, it's, it does make me, you know, it, I'm like, well, this book wasn't totally high up on my list, but now it has dropped down to zero. Like, I have no intention of reading it. And yeah, maybe I would would have found it entertaining, but you know what? I've got so many other books to read and so many authors to discover. I, for me, I am not putting my my reading energy behind a book like this or behind an author like this. I'm like, I don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, again, it's, I, I kind of agree with you on that point. And like, it's always going to be a personal decision about picking up books like that. Personally, like the choice I make is always like, if I know something terrible about an author, even if it's not like, 
you know, again, like murdering someone or hurting people or even like when the allegations of abuse are coming out, like abuse is like a very clear line. Uh, but even if it's just like an author treated people terribly, like treated their fans terribly, when I hear stuff like that, I that automatically puts that author in the I don't really know if I w- really want to support the work that they're doing, especially if they're making money off of, you know, me spending buying their book, spending time reading their book, or even like me talking about the book in public spaces. Because obviously, like, we're people who have platforms um, to some degree. I mean, they're not necessarily like millions of people following us, but we do have platforms and people do pick up books based on the things I say sometimes. So I feel like I've become more and I feel like that's also true of almost anyone now. um, Because if you have a Twitter account, if you have a Goodreads account, if you have an Instagram and you post about the books that you are reading, you're influencing the people around you. Um, And so I feel like that's a thing that I take into consideration these days more and more is like, yeah, this person may not be like the worst person in the world, but is this necessarily a person I want to continue to have them earn money uh, while they continue to be a terrible person? Now, obviously, like there's terrible people at lots of companies um, and like there's like, you know, there's that gray area. So like you said, it's not like a terrible thing if you love the woman in the window but at the same time like I'm not like and I read the woman in the window and again I didn't it wasn't like I found it to be fine um not nothing terrible but nothing groundbreaking either uh but I'm definitely not going to be picking up his future book if it comes out and I'm definitely not going to talk about that book anymore even though I barely talked about it before (laughs) um so yeah again it's a personal decision but it's just like one of those things that is like it's one it's one of those stories where you're like the, it could only be true because there's no way anyone would believe a story like that if it was false yeah um and with that i think we'll have to move on to our second sponsor because i know we're going to go over time for this episode but that that's just how frustrating this whole thing is um so if you have thoughts about this whether you knew about this like at the same time we did or if this is the first time that you're hearing about it, if you've got thoughts and i'm betting you probably do you know let us know. Like I said, it's a, there's a, there's it's a very there's there's a lot of things to unpack here. Um, so uh, with that, um, we'll go ahead and jump into our second sponsor, which is Book Clubish. And uh, they tell us that uh, 2019 has some truly spine-tingling suspense novels to sink your teeth into. Everything from exciting debut authors to new releases from best-selling authors, these suspense titles will take readers to some new, unexpected places and hit readers with more twists and turns than you'll ever see coming. Uh, Book Clubbish is your go-to destination for finding your next great read. You'll never be without a book this year, given their incredible lineup. Uh, Best-selling authors Christina Dodd, Mary Kubica, Heather Graham, and Kat Martin all have new books coming this year and they are not to be missed. Find your next great suspense read on bookclubbish.com and for um, a complete list of their 2019 Thrills and Chills titles, you can visit the website as well for that. That is bookclubbish.com and we would like to thank them very much for sponsoring the episode. Okay, so new releases this week. As usual, there are a lot coming out. So I only picked a handful plus a couple of uh, honorable mentions. So <laughs> bear with me as I uh, tried to go through through this relatively quickly. Uh, so the first one I have is Felicity Carroll and the Perilous Pursuit by Patricia Marcat. Antonio, and this one is out February 12th, so it's already out as you are listening to this episode. Felicity Carroll is interested in everything except being a 
proper young matron of Victorian society. Brilliant and resourceful, Felicity took refuge in science and education after her mother died and her father abandoned her to servants. Now all she he wants is for her to marry into a family of status and money. But Felicity has other ambitions and her plan to uh, but her plans shudder to a halt when her mentor is murdered at the British Museum and his priceless manuscript of King Arthur lore is stolen. Tapping into her photographic memory and the latest uh, in the burgeoning field of forensic detection, Felicity launches an investigation. Handsome Scotland Yard Inspector Jackson Davis is also on the case and finds Felicity as meddlesome as she is intelligent. But when more nobles are murdered and their King Arthur relics stolen, Felicity must journey on her own into the dark underworld of antiquity theft, uh, where she uncovers a motive far more nefarious than simple profit. So this is uh, obviously a Victorian era mystery book. So if you are someone who enjoys good historical British mysteries, then you can pick up Felicity Carroll by Patricia Marcatonio. And then also coming out on February 12th, we have Black Coats by Colleen Oakes. This is a young adult uh, mystery thriller. Um, the enigmatic Black Coats have been exacting revenge on men who have hurt girls and women for years. The killer of Thea's cousin went free, and Thea has just received an invitation to join the Black Coats balancings, an acts of revenge meant to teach a lesson. Justice for Natalie has never felt so close. But as the balancings escalate in brutality, Thea's clear-cut mission begins to unravel, and she must decide just how far she's willing to go for justice. So again, like I said, this is young adult mystery. Uh, it's described as moxie meets female of the species. So if you read either of those books, uh, which came out a couple of years ago at this point, um, then you might be interested in this one. It's about you know a secret society of girls who plot revenge on the men who have hurt them. Um, so again, that is The Black Coats by Colleen Oakes. Um, next, I have a nonfiction book that came out this week, and that is Good Kids, Bad City, A Story of Race and Wrongful Conviction in America by Kyle Swenson. Um, Kyle Swenson is a, an award-winning investigative journalist, and this one talks about imprisonment, uh, specifically in the city of Cleveland. Um, so in the 1970s, three African-American men were accused and convicted of the brutal robbery and murder of a man outside a convenience store in Cleveland. Um, the prosecution's case, which resulted in a combination of 106 years in prison for the three men, rested on the more than questionable testimony of preteen Ed Vernon. The actual murderer was never found, and almost four decades later, Vernon recanted his testimony and the three were released. Uh, but while their exoneration may have ended one of the, uh, our history's most disgraceful miscarriages of justice, uh, the corruption and decay of the city um, still remains. Um, so this is, again, a nonfiction book that looks at our current justice system, as well as, you know, the history of our justice system and looking at uh, the racial tensions in cities like Cleveland and throughout the Midwest and just how, uh, you know, black people are continually mistreated by the justice system and how um, they are discriminated against uh, over and over again. So if you are interested in that, it again is called Good Kids, Bad City by Kyle Swenson. 
And then the final one that I have is The Birds That Stay by Anne Lambert. This one takes place in a a small town north of Montreal, uh, where a reclusive older woman is found strangled and frozen outside her home. Romeo Leduc, the enigmatic chief inspector of homicide, is one day away for his first day one day away from his first vacation in years, but then answers the call on the case. Uh, Romeo suspects a local biker gang is involved in uh, what seems to be a robbery gone awry, or was the old woman a victor of a violent hate crime? Marie Russell is a 58-year-old writer and divorced mother of two who lives next door to the victim. Marie becomes an inadvertent detective when her mother, suffering from dementia, offers a startling clue that links the woman's murder to a terrible incident that happened on Marie's suburban Montreal street in the 1970s. Together, Marie and Romeo discover that the murder goes even further back to another crime during the darkest days in Hungary at the end of World War II. As they combine their wits to find the killer, they're forced to face demons from their own past as they confront a cast of characters from Quebec of yesterday and today. So this one sounded super interesting to me. I like the fact that it's uh, connected to sort of like potential previous uh, crimes and things like that. Um, I also like it when there are mysteries that feature older women. So yay for that. (laughs) Um, So again, that is The Birds That Stay by Anne Lambert. And then my two honorable mentions, uh, there is a new book out by Asma Zayanat Khan, who I adore. Um, I don't even know. I think this is the fourth book in the series, possibly the fifth. I think it's the fourth. Um, anyways, it's called A Deadly Divide. Uh, this is the Rachel Gideon as a Katak series. Um, I am already on hold for it at the library, and it's currently waiting there for me right now. Like I got the notification early to, earlier today that it's – ready for me. So that is probably a book that you'll hear me talk about next time. Um, and then the other one I wanted to mention is that there's a new book by your sis, daughter. I always mess that up. Um, he has a new, or she has a new book out called the reckoning. Um, and that is book two in the children's house series. All right. Yeah. God, so many, so many new mysteries coming out. Ah, oh, can't keep up. Um, so with that, I'll, I'll go ahead and give you, give you a quick breather. Um, I, I mentioned before, but when I was putting together the list of books that I had finished reading, um, and are, and I'm starting, um, or I'm like halfway through, and I realized I'm like, wow, I have actually read a lot of books since last time. Um, so I did finish Force of Nature by Jane Harper. I think I probably finished that like the, the, the day we recorded or like the day after. Um, that one was excellent. Um, I'm not going to go into details. We have already talked about that book and Jane Harper a fair amount. Um, but yeah, if you like, uh, if you like the dry, um, this, uh, this does feel, um, very much kind of in that same vein. Um, it's, you know, great characters, um, and the way they alternate between the past and the present and the way they, she alternates the chapters more frequently between the past and the present and the closer you get to the end, like, it's just, I just, I'm like, well, I, I can't go to bed now. Like, like I know exactly what's happening and I'm like, I know this is designed to keep me turning the pages and by God, it's working. Um, so yeah, d- 
excellent book. Um, her new one just came out, so I will probably actually I did I did buy a copy of that at Barnes and Noble the other day. Um, so I will I will probably end up reading that one uh, fairly soon. But um, again, that was Force of Nature by Jane Harper. Um, the second book that I finished, well, I've got like twenty pages left. Um, uh, is one that I will talk about in more detail uh, next episode. It's an upcoming book called American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson. And I all I'm going to say right now, so I don't give away everything I'm going to talk about next time, is that it's super good. And I'm not a fan of espionage stories. And if you are not a fan of espionage stories either, you will probably like this one because it is not a typical spy story. It is fantastic. Um, I don't have the release date for that book yet. I, I, I got a digital advance copy of it. So I'll have that information next time. Um, but again, American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson. Super good. Um, I started um, listening to We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. Um because I have not yet read that book of uh, by her, but I like Shirley Jackson and other people who have read it said, you know, that it's excellent. And I needed a new audiobook to listen to. So um, I'm listening to that. Um, I, it's, you know, it's, it's bizarrely gothic. Like, her her books, like, you know, they feel like they should be taking place in, like, the 1800s or something, but they don't. They do kind of take place in semi-modern society, which is always a little weird to me. Um, but it's it's bizarre and unsettling, and you never feel like you have a strong footing in the story, um, which I which I know is by design. Um, but it's it's a short story. I, I, or it's not a short story. It just happens to be a story that is short. Um, it's like five hours on audio or something like that. So um that should that should be a quick listen and then i also started reading the descent by tim johnston about a girl who um her family is on vacation in the rocky mountains she and her brother go um, bike riding into the mountains and only her brother comes back um and so the the book like that happens at the very beginning of the story and then after that it's like a year later and she still hasn't turned up no one knows what's happened to her and it's more of a and it's it's very lyrically written it's it's beautifully written um but it kind of it feels like we're going to be seeing a lot of like how the family like kind of falls apart after this and like and how the family copes with that kind of tragedy along with figuring out what actually happened to her um so i and i i love the rocky mountains like i love i love being in colorado so that 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 uh setting for me is very evocative and one that that i'm pretty much going to be like set in the rocky mountains yeah i'll read it um so again that is the descent by tim johnston and then hopefully i will have finished those um by next time all right and then for me i also read a book that it will be talking about next time, so I'm not going to talk too much about it here. And it's Liar's Candle by August Thomas. This is, if you couldn't tell, we're going to have a theme on espionage next time. <laughs> um, so this is a, a book that focuses on like espionage in Turkey. Um, but yeah, I, I liked it. I will talk more about it next time, so I'm not going to belabor that point here. Um, the other one that I am currently in the middle of is Bitter Orange by Claire Fuller. This one is probably would fall under the larger umbrella of like literary suspense. It's giving me kind of like Rebecca uh, vibes like by Daphne du Maurier in that it's like kind of gothic-y, kind of darker, a real slow burn. It's one of those books that I don't really know where it's going. It's set in like the 1960s, but the way that it's written and feels like I feel like it's written for like the 19, like, 30s <laughs> like it, it has like a very older vibe to it um 
but it's very much one of those stories where like you know the main narrator is not 100% reliable like she's telling the story about this summer in her past and she's telling it like there are chapters told from like her current point of view and she's like older and I think on her deathbed Um, so like she's sort of recounting the story to someone and so there's like a little bit of this how much of this is actually what happened and how much of this is like her adjusting the story possibly right now or maybe she's fully confessing to some things um after the fact but i really don't know what's going to happen um in the story i should probably give you a quick synopsis uh basically it's this woman who lived in the attic of this house it takes place in england and this like couple moves in downstairs and she basically becomes like obsessed with the couple um but they're also kind of obsessed with her and they're the woman in the couple um tells this story to the main character, which I don't want to recount because it's kind of interesting discovering it yourself and you're just not really sure what's true and what's not. Um, So again, that's called Bitter Orange by Claire Fuller. Um, I know a lot of people who read her short story collection, which came out, I think, last year, maybe two years ago and liked it. But I feel like this is just like a really good suspense, uh, slow burn book. So if you're in the mood for something like that, uh, I highly recommend it. Okay, and that is our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. There'll be links to all of the articles that we talked about in this episode, especially if you are interested in reading the full New Yorker article about Dan Mallory, definitely go and check that out. If you enjoyed the podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can discover us. Um, If you are interested in sending us feedback or letting us know about some episode ideas that you have that you want us to do in the future, Um, whether it's specific authors or topics or anything like that you want us to cover, feel free to send us an email. Um, Our email address is redordead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram. I am at Rincey A. And I am on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye.